Thanks for downloading this show from PC One. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Everybody loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and you're listening to Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every week in my New York City apartment. And I want to say thanks to Upside for supporting Mentoring Moments. Upside is the smart new way to buy travel. It's Upside.com. You save money and get a free Amazon gift card every trip you buy. Use the code Forbes and you're guaranteed at least a $200 gift card your first time using Upside. Save big on travel and get a big gift card. Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. And sitting across from me today is my guest, Bronwyn Cosgrave. And Bronwyn is my guest, and she's also my mentoring moment. And she's a twofer. And I don't know if you like that or not, but you become my twofer. Okay. I feel flattered. You feel flattered to be a twofer? So one day, it's the weekend, I just get done with Pilates, and I haven't taken a shower. I haven't combed my hair, which is not uncommon. You, People who listen to this, I think they hear this repeatedly. I never comb my hair, and I don't take showers. I think people are going to be like, you should just jump in the shower once in a while. But I do Pilates. I go over to Barney's, which is about two blocks from where I live. And I'm looking at this coat, a dress, and a jacket. And the sales associate that goes to find the coat in my size. Now, I swear at Barney's, and I'm sure you can attest to this, the stock room is in another zip code. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the stock room is like in New Jersey because you can spend your life waiting. Whenever they say we're going to find you another size, you're like, no, no, I'll just, I'll just take the size that's too big or too small. Anyway, so she's off doing that. So Bronwyn, this woman who I've never met before, is looking for the sales associate as well. And she's like, there was just a sales associate here. And I'm like, okay, I take responsibility for the missing sales associate because she went to find me a coat. So we start chatting and I never ask people that I don't know what they think about my fashion. Interesting. Right. Isn't it interesting? I, I really never do. There are people that I do ask. I have friends that I ask, you know, there are a few trusted friends, but in my past, I was a stylist for a moment in time, for a moment. And so although I like opinions, there's, I, I usually don't say to the sales associate, what did you think? I, there's a trusted group of people that I have. But for some reason, this woman who turns out to be Bronwyn that I meet, I say to her, so what do you think about this coat? And I'm asking her about what she thinks about these clothes. Now, keep in mind that she's only looking at me, not showered, her hair not combed, in my Pilates clothes. So she has not a clue like who I even am, who I am as a person, right? Like what my fashion sense style might be. And we start chatting and she's giving me advice and one thing leads to another and I'm taking her advice and she's like, no, no, don't do that jacket. I've done that jacket kind of like that before. You're going to be sorry if you do it. I'm like, okay. And the jacket kind of like goes into the pile of not the pile of not even thinking about that. So we start chatting and 
I really leave Barney's not knowing. I give you my card and you tell me your name because you didn't have your card. And I don't know a lot about you except somewhere in that conversation, British Vogue and James Bond came up. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, I'm sure I'm like thinking, okay, I just had coffee. I have coffee breath. I haven't taken a shower. And I'm talking to this woman I don't know. <laughs> and I'm sure like that's going through my head at the same time. So, but I'm thinking on the way home, I want her to be on my podcast. And I don't have a clue who you are other than, and I'm hoping that you'll contact me because you have my card, which I get home, I Google you, and then I will tell you all in a moment or two what I find out about Bronwyn when oh, I no. Google her. But that's all good. It's all good. <laughs> and then I'm like thinking, I hope she contacts me. I hope she contacts me, which you did that same day. And that was the beginning of our relationship. So before I get into the moral of this story, which some of you may be able to figure out, let me tell you about Bronwyn. She's the former features editor of British Vogue and a contributing editor of Vogue India. She's the curator of Designing 007, 50 Years of Bond Style, an exhibition that has broke box office records in London, and it's now on its way from Dubai to Portugal, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And in addition to Vogue, she's written for every major design, fashion, from Architectural Digest and the New York Times to every major British magazine. I saw a video of you at Kate and William and Kate's wedding, <laughs> critiquing Kate's dress. So was for Canadian television. Right, right. <laughs> so, no, it was great. It was great. Um, and even with that, I'm in a pair of casual pants and a t-shirt. She's not intimidating me. And so, um, but what really stood out for me, Bronwyn, is that you have this great ability to transform ideas into really important, big, grand scale projects. That is not, you don't sit there with the small idea. You take it and you blow it up and you do something great. I mean, curating the James Bond exhibit this huge. The largest ever staged. Right. It's huge. <laughs> yeah. And the moral to my mentoring moment is for everyone, you never know who you're going to meet and when. And we don't have to be in our Sunday finest. We don't have to be at a networking event. We don't have to be on stage. We don't need to be at a summit. It's being able to listen and I think having a life of stories that you can share. So creating a life for both of us, right? Because as we were talking, we were sharing our stories and we both have lives that have a lot of stories that are filled with a lot of stories that are worth sharing. The other thing that, that I think is important is, and maybe you did, but I just don't know this, that you didn't judge me by, by what I was wearing. Never do. Right. You didn't look at me and think, okay, this woman really needs to go comb her hair <laughs> or, or I wish she had like I, more fashionable I, clothes on. I hadn't combed my hair that morning. <laughs> So I think there are two lessons in that, in that we have to give, just be present. Yeah. And whether it leads to being on a podcast together or a friendship, which we, we have both of these, or just a, acquaintance that somebody gives you some information that helps and you may never see that person again. It's being present and being open and sharing our stories. So that's my mentoring moment. Thank you. I feel really grateful and flattered to be here, Denise. I'm so happy and we're, we're like blocks away from each other. So the whole thing is just this great, this great thing going on. But have you had those moments where you've met someone that? Yeah, I mean, I've given a lot of thought um, to the idea of a mentor and I've been lucky enough to have them and find them. I think they kind of find you, um, but you have to be open to it. And you mentioned British Vogue and um 
I worked at British Vogue for five years, and the editor, um, Alexandra Shulman, um, who is retiring after a 25-year run on the magazine, she's retiring this year, really was a mentor for me. And she is kind of what you say. She always described herself as not a fashion person, um, although I think she had tremendous fashion instinct. And so she didn't buy into the whole blow-dried, kind of perfect look appearing at British Vogue every day, like some other editors of Vogue look. Right. Um, and I was actually the opposite. I mean, I turned up my first day at British Vogue wearing a Chanel skirt, and I was kind of known as the the editor that wore Chanel when none of them did. I mean, it, it's British women have a de- definitely have a different approach to grooming, you know, blow dries, not important. <laughs> uh, teeth, the whole British dentist right. thing, not so important, but I am Canadian. So I, I went to England in 1992 to go to journalism school and I just stayed and I actually ended my full-time journalism career at Vogue because I went and worked for myself afterwards. But, you know, something that Alex Shulman did say to me, which just to pick up your point about taking a small idea and making it into and realizing it. She once said in a meeting, we had many meetings that were really high pressured and you were expected to perform or you were out. She once said, look, an idea doesn't have to be the right idea. It just has to be a good idea. And that idea could lead to the right idea. And I have operated on that premise for my entire career. So I, she said that to me, I think in 1999 and I've gone on it and it was always about taking an idea at British Vogue and turning it into a concept. So we did these wonderful issues, which have really gone down in magazine history. We did a millennial issue at the turn of the new millennium, which was silver. And it was all about the future. We did a gold issue in 2000, um, which really just celebrated the excess of that time, you know, the go-go 90s going into the noughties. And we would just have to, okay, we would take the idea gold and think, what can we actually build on this? And we would do entire issues. And that I really started to apply that to projects after I left Vogue in 2003. And what I did also realize, which you were also discussing, which is about relationships. I think relationships, working in fashion, I was actually the features editor, but it was a fashion, the foremost fashion magazine and certainly one of the foremost Vogues. It's my what favorite Vogue. Oh, really that's really nice of saying, you. It's, it's a great Vogue. one. It's definitely a great one. But what I realized were fashion is all about relationships. You don't really have contracts in that business. It's all about sort of a handshake and a trust. You know, when you were putting someone's designs in the magazine, you had to really represent it for everything that it could be. They expected because it was Vogue, a certain amount of experimentation and beauty. Um, And not everyone gets the opportunity to be in Vogue. I mean, you have to have earned your place there. So people generally tend to step up to it. So I came out of there having tremendous relationships with every great fashion design art professional really at the forefront Um, because at the time that I worked uh, in London London really had become I know a lot of New Yorkers will challenge this but the center of the world it was certainly the center of Europe so everyone wanted to be in London so I had the ability to think big And I always think big. So, you know, people come to me with ideas. I mean, 
after I left, my kind of employer was my computer and my email address. So I would turn on my computer and, you know, work would just come at me and I would think, okay, I rarely turn down projects. Occasionally I do. Sometimes they don't always go as planned, usually. But usually what, they do go as planned or don't go as planned. It's impossible because right. I agree. Um, you just don't know. But that's I'll get to that um, in the latter half of the program. But, you know, I do think gut instinct is very important and you really have to print out those emails and read them on paper. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I tend to step up to the projects that people send. Before we continue with Bronwyn's story, I want to thank Upside for sponsoring the show. I found an exciting new way to buy travel. It's Upside.com. At Upside, you save money on travel and you get a free Amazon gift card worth $100, $200, even $300 every time. You get savings and a big gift card for free. Here's how they do it. Upside bundles your flights and hotel together for one low price. Bundling saves a ton of money, especially on business travel. So they give you an Amazon gift card. Your company saves money and you still keep all your miles. And right now, when you use the code Forbes, you're guaranteed a free $200 Amazon gift card your first time. The code Forbes gets you a guaranteed $200 Amazon gift card. That's like the best deal. How can you not do it? Save big on travel and get a big gift card every time. Go to Upside.com. That's Upside.com. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. Hi, I'm Clay Smith, host of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews, the podcast for book lovers interested in interviews with best-selling authors, insider scoop on the hottest releases, reading ideas for book clubs and bibliophiles, and even tips about which books to skip altogether. So be sure to download new episodes of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews every Tuesday. You can get it on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. You're listening to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. Now back to Bronwyn's story. This really does lead me to my big mentoring moment, which was moving. It happened when I moved to the USA four years ago to live with my life partner. Um, His name is John Sloss, and he is a formative figure in the independent film world, I would say internationally. He's a lawyer. He really set up the independent film business in New York as a sales professional. He's got a great legal mind, so he's helped a whole long line of American directors and some British ones really manage their career, make sure, making sure that they got the best deals for them. So I moved in with John and his two children four years ago. I had always lived on my own. So I moved to New York, really just having my experience. I figured I could make the transition. I didn't, I am North American, but I was raised in Toronto, Canada. So you were raised in Toronto, spent your life in the, in professional London, life right? in England and moved to the United States 
four years ago. Um, so that's 2013. And I, I was going back and forth because I was curating the Designing 007 show, which was traveling all over the world. You know, I'm an author. My work is kind of comportable. Like Winston Churchill said, he never took a vacation. He would just bring his work in other places and set it up wherever he was. That's sort of me. So I moved here, but it was actually a tremendous culture shock. Just the whole way of doing business. I would go into meetings. You know, in England, people ask you if you would like a glass of water. They will take your coat. They will walk you out. That was not happening. And I was just, I was really perplexed, you know? And then I just thought, you know what, for better or worse, I'm not going to look for a job job. I'm just going to continue being Bronwyn, which is what I was in the UK. And it worked out brilliantly. Took me a long time, not a long time. So it's been four years, but it did take a while to kick in. And I was getting all these emails from people going, you know, what are you doing? What are you actually working on? And I'm very conscious of my image and there wasn't a lot. But I started producing fashion documentaries, feature length fashion documentaries. And when I moved in with John, he had started to give me career advice because he runs a big company. Um, he has a lot of young people working with him. He has offices in LA and New York. And a lot of people look to him, are clamoring to get his advice. Filmmakers seek him out. And he started giving me advice and I really was not open to it. And I was just like, you know, yeah, we're living together, but no, I, and maybe that was me being a feminist. My mother uh, was raised by a single mother. I have three sisters who are all incredibly dynamic and have really run their own show. So it kind of got my back up. But then I started to think, hey, actually, this is really valuable. I remember being in at the Berlin Film Festival with John and we were walking down a strasse, I can't remember, but one of the main streets in Berlin. And this filmmaker breathlessly came up behind him and said, are you ever going to return my calls? <laughs> and I thought, you know, actually, this is amazing. <laughs> so I really felt like I have a real asset here. And... Um, I have to look within myself to put my ego aside and really think, yes, this man can be my partner, my lover, my friend, and also my business advisor. <laughs> and another one of his colleagues who I actually, we had a mutual friend in London and she saw me at the Cannes Film Festival. And she said, oh, so you're with John. And I said, yes. And she said, well, you better get him to do your business deals. <laughs> and I don't know if it is usual to have a mentor who is your life partner or your husband, but it did take something within me to kind of put it aside and also realize the value of it because I don't take it for granted. And that is, maybe that goes back to my time at Vogue because before I got to Vogue, I worked on all kinds of magazines. Like I worked on British Cosmopolitan. And when I was going to work for Cosmo, an editor said to me, you're going to work at Cosmopolitan. I always saw you more as a Harper's Bazaar kind of girl. And I said, look, I just want to know how to put together a magazine. I want to work for the editor, not the title. And this is the biggest magazine in England. And I want to know how she puts it together. And I used that because when you called someone from Cosmopolitan, anyone that advertised was dead keen on getting in there. But a creative was like, oh, Cosmo? I don't know. Maybe not. Like, it took a struggle. And I, I never took for granted that when I rang up someone 
when I was working at Vogue that they would be in the magazine. Pretty much everyone said yes. But I never took it for granted. And similarly, with my advice from John that I'm so grateful to receive, I don't take it for granted. You know, I know when he doesn't want to talk about work, when he's just, he works 24-7, and when he needs a support partner. And then similarly, I work all my projects except for my book projects or team projects. So I really think clearly about the people that I let into my life on my teams, on my work projects and think, are they going to realize the value of this? Because actually this is the gold standard and not everyone does in work projects. And I find it when you're younger at a certain stage of your career, I think because people are so eager to get ahead that they're like, wow, I actually have this. I'm 50 and I find that, you know, often people can get a bit complacent. Well, I'm as good as that or envious. Oh, you know, and actually, I really don't think you can think that way. I mean, I'm not approaching every project as a ground zero, but I always realize that I've got something to learn from someone and that person could be 22. He could be 89. Yes. And I'm open to that. And I think there's there's so many things you just said, Bronwyn, that I think are important. One is, Lewis, my husband, is not so much a mentor, but a a real part. We're partners in life, and we're part. We we talk about business just in general because he he is a journalist by training, and um, has been an editor and has been in the the media business forever. And I was in the media business on the business side, so we have a lot of connect the dots in our conversations. And whenever I have an idea, I'll say, you know, what do you think about this? And he'll help think things through for with me, right? And I really do value that. I really value that. And I think part of that is, and this may be, tell me if this was with you in the beginning, I think sometimes we're not looking at ourselves as equals because if people are saying, oh, you're with John, you know, isn't that great? Aren't they kind of saying to you, maybe not intentionally, maybe, maybe intentionally, oh, you're with John. Like, how did that happen? Uh, yeah, I think. (laughs) Right. And so you've, so I think you just come up with this now. So it's finding yourself, knowing your self-worth, which you know, but sometimes it gets lost along the way. Yeah. Different, different points and times of our lives, different things are impacting it, whether it's personally, professionally, that I think take us in and out of our comfort zones and our confidence zones Mm. of where we're able to accept and receive in a, and, and probably John gets a lot from you. That's what I was going to say about Lewis. You know, one of the things that Lewis and I say is, and Lewis tells Allie, our daughter, this all the time, that you want to find a partner that is equal. Your mother and I are equal. Lewis and I are very different on so many levels, but our integrity, our moral compass is directly in line. And so it's that when you have that equal respect for each other, you really are helping each other. And you may not even realize it, what you're bringing to the table for John, in addition to being his life partner, but in business sense, just by the conversations, because you're smart in business. Mm. And so the things that he may be picking up. So I think, you know, that's one of the things when you were saying that, that I was internalizing thinking, I've been there, Mm. where it's kind of like, don't tell me, I know what I'm doing. But when you take that step back, you just, and it's really being receptive, which goes to our conversation when we first met in a way, right? Is that just being open to what this person's saying and what can I learn from them? That's a huge lesson Mm. for everyone to learn. I mean, being open is uh, vital, but it's a challenge because often people say what you don't want to hear. And sometimes their advice is right. 
or their observations, and often they're incorrect. But another thing I learned, I mean, particularly in this instant culture where you get text messages, emails, that I think it's really vital to take a step back. Um, And it's particularly vital when you're getting feedback about something. Um, Just take a step back and assess it and really think, is that true? It could take a week. It could take a walk around the block. Uh, It could take, you know, but it definitely requires contemplation. But picking up when you say when I first got together with John and another thing that was very difficult for me, um, as I said, you know, I come from a line of strong women And when I went to live in England, I really only had myself. And I built a reputation as a journalist, as a fashion historian, as a fashion expert, as I ended up calling myself because I do so many different things. And I was on television, I was on radio. And when I would go out, typically in my world, people would say they would know me. Bronwyn, how are you? I would be welcome with open arms or maybe not, but people knew who I was and I didn't have to explain anything. And I found myself going out in New York with John. And for the first time I had a partner that completely eclipsed me and people had no clue who I was. And it was difficult. I'm you sure. know, it was very difficult. I saw a phenomenal documentary about Winnie Mandela at the Sundance Film Festival this year. And it was about her life and how when um, Nelson Mandela got out of jail, she'd been fighting the fight. And take a step back, she felt she lost her identity. And I went through that. And it's still, you know, I had a life coach, wonderful life coach. And I said to her, you know, I can't get arrested in this town. (laughs) (laughs) Could you you get arrested in the UK? Oh, yeah. And I want to know why. Oh, yes. And I live near a police station. Why that that is a concern is another problem. But it was the case of being anonymous. But, you know, there is beauty in doing that. So I can go off to Barney's without doing my hair. Where, you know, in London, I was always at John Frieda. But I think a big thing in this life is that I'm, I'm saying, you know, we're saying be open. You just have to keep moving forward and really challenge yourself because what else are you going to do? Right. Hey, it's Adam Carolla. The greatest time of the year is back. College basketball. That's right. March Madness, March Mania, and March Money. Join in on everyone's favorite game, the Bracket Challenge Contest at betonline.ag. Sign up for a free account, receive your 50% welcome bonus, and make your picks. All the early lines for all the games are now available, so don't miss out on any of the action for the next three weeks at betonline.ag, the exclusive partner at Podcast One Sportsnet. Continuing our conversation here on Mentoring Moments that is brought to you by WordPress.com. More websites run on WordPress than any other platform. Create your blog or small business website today and get 15% off any new plan purchase at wordpress.com slash Forbes. That's wordpress.com slash Forbes. So what helps you get through that identity crisis? I've told this story, so I'll make it a quick one. I had a huge identity crisis when I left USA Today because I used to be Denise at USA Today. I didn't have a last name. And then I went on my own and I was like, I'm Denise Rostari. And I, I really didn't know what to wrap my arms around because I was at USA Today for 16 years. So that was a huge part of my identity. 
so it was hard. I mean, it was really hard for me to get my self-esteem going. And I remember I was working at the startup and I was doing a lot of detailed work. And a guy friend of mine who was one of the attorneys for Liars Poker, so like, you know, a big time attorney, blah, 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 said to me one day, why are you doing all of that detail work? And it didn't even hit me. And I thought, at USA Today, I wasn't doing any of that, right? Because I'm a visionary and I'm a creative soul and I look at big picture. And I was so brought down by, I was so stuck in the, de- the details are a bad place for me. I can get stuck there forever. Um, and I was so stuck in the details that I wasn't doing what I do best. And I think it was because part of my, I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't have a title. I mean, I had a title, but I didn't really know what it meant. Well, interesting you say, I mean, what got me through was I hired a life coach and she actually had worked for John. Her name's Ellie Burroughs and she has um, established a center of um, meditation spaces across New York called Mindful. And she actually said the exact same thing to me. Why are you doing the details? You shouldn't be doing these little itty bitty, hire an assistant. Was it because you were bringing yourself down? Because I, I think was for me, I was lost. lost. Exactly. And so when you're yeah. lost, going to the details, is, is, yeah. it's very black and white, right? Yeah. And it just, and I hadn't, I thought, oh, you know, I can't, or I just never really thought about it. And it was the best thing I did. And I have an assistant who was good. I sometimes struggle because I was really, um, when I was assisting, you really had to get it right. But I'm trying to mentor my assistant and I found it very liberating and I could focus on things like you know, let's Getting face the it. the assistant made it liberating? Yes, without question. She really freed up all the tasks that, you know, I was, I can't say wasting my time. Because but it is. Because I can often, you know, st- you know, go off to Staples and, you know, while I'm waiting in the we line. Could meet, we could meet in Staples. <laughs> I can think of some ideas, but actually... Right. It, Putting that aside and helping someone, you know, she's a college student. I'm helping her, you know, pay her way through. So that's, it's all positive. Mm -hmm. So that definitely, and it was really just time settling in. Like I've always felt in my career, particularly when I was a full-time journalist, there were times that you had to sit and times that you had to uh, fly. Okay. So you had to sit at your desk or take off and travel. And when it got to New York, I was doing a lot of back and forth between New York and London because it's actually very easy. And it is it's almost easier than going to the West Coast. I mean, it's amazing. So, but then I kind of realized, you know what? No, I actually need to sit this out, make my own friends. Okay. So when I say I go out with John, I have really focused on making my own world here. And it's still in flux. Um, I realized I... I'm closer than ever. I mean, I knew this, but I seized upon it to reconnect with a lot of my old friends in Toronto and business colleagues. So that's opened up a whole new part of my life, which is very rewarding and really doing a lot of stepmom stuff, which I also find very rewarding. And it's pretty easy for me because I'm very organized, but I really felt like, you know, you got to put in the time that's with anything. It's like, if you're a professional musician, you have to practice. And if you want to make a new life, you really have to dedicate yourself to it. For sure. And I think that whole piece when you just said about making your own life. So that's where I think the strength comes in relationships, business or personal, right? You you have to be yourself. 
and we do get lost along the way. We're, and we're going to get lost when we're in our 20s, when we're in our 50s. We're all, there's always going to be those moments of being lost. But knowing that you digging deep and being able to find yourself so that you are the equal to whatever that person, your partner is on a different level of equal, a different type of equal, but you're, you're equal, you're both bringing. And that comes from within. That really comes, because if you start doubting yourself, that's the problem, yeah. right? When you're lost and we, yeah. and we get lost. So let's talk about a few things. What can we tell our, some of our younger listeners how, when they're lost, what are some of the things they can do? They can get a life coach or you know, find peer groups to mentor with, because I think a lot of times you find value in that when that's someone else, like I just went through that have a mentor, but what are some of the things, like if we could go through a few things that might be going through your head that you wish you would have done or done better? Well, something that I I do do because I am a writer primarily is I write a lot down and I often keep a lot of notebooks and I really try to write out my tasks that I need to do, my goals, things that I want to achieve, um, things that I wish I hadn't done. Um, I try really, I, I always do, I know this might sound a bit Pollyannish, but I really try to always tell the truth. So if I make a mistake, I really own up to it. You know, if I've lost something or whatever, and I think it's really, really important. I think that's huge. Yeah. And I don't lie. So, and I, I think that's really important. And it makes life so much easier Yeah, because if you're telling the truth, you don't have to think about it. Yeah. So this is the same thing, but I, I really try to live my life that way. And I think it makes your life easier in the end. And I, again, stepping back thinking, you know, okay, why did I do that? Um, I will share something I did. Um, there's an incredible woman in England named Natalie Mazinet who started Net-A-Porter and she was at Tatler when I was at British Vogue. She was there shortly. I, we, we've emailed, Natalie and I have emailed each She's other. She's amazing. Yes. She is amazing. And I knew her, you know, I knew her pretty well when she was at Tatler. And I remember I was at, in kind of the height when I'd left Vogue, I'd written a couple books. I was doing BBC radio. I really had a phenomenal career. And we were at a party at Claridge's and she said to me, you know, Bronwyn, you should call me sometime, you know, and I've never really been into net-a-porter. I'm not very computer oriented. I'm much more about saying going to Barney's and having the experience. It's about the hunt. Right. And I, I think, agree. I think that for me goes back to having the most incredible fashion closet at British Vogue. I mean, amazing. Um, and being invited to sample sales first. Um, but she said to me, you know, you I'm should... hanging out with you for sure. <laughs> she said for to sure. me, she said to me, you know, you should call me. And I said, well, you know, I don't know. And I never did. And I thought, why? why did I do that? And it's just, I had an attitude about it and it's really not worth having an attitude, but my father had an attitude. It's part of my DNA and it's not a good thing. And it's not that I really want to work or wanted to work there, but just my response to her, it kind of stuck out to me. And I thought, you know, that's not the way to be. I think you have to be gracious and again, flattered. You know, yes. that someone in that position. But I think, as I said to you, it's like, you know, when you start out at a place, like, so I started, well, I started out at several different magazine companies, but I was at Condé Nast for a formative amount of time. And, you know, some people move further along some, you know, at times, you know, other people go in different directions. And I think you have to really champion people too. 
I'm pretty scathing on Facebook about fashion. I think that's I, I love your, fa- I, I love it. I love it. And I get a lot of feedback about it because I'm honest. And a lot yes. of people in fashion aren't, aren't honest about what they see, but I feel like I can be honest because I'm an independent operator. But, you know, I think it's important to champion people. And if it's jealousy, like get over it. Right. I've always found like professional jealousy, any kind of jealousy, really destructive. Yeah. And comparing yourself to what others are doing, whether it's jealousy or because you just want to be on top. I think they're close, jealousy and wanting to be on top. But you just get spend so much time comparing. It's I just mean, focus on where you're going. I often do things like I'll read articles. So I used to write journalism 24-7. And I just sort of realized I'm not going to do this anymore because I want to do bigger things. Like not that journalism isn't big, but I wanted to do right. more creative projects and use my journalistic skills to curate, um, to consult, um, books, etc. But I often will start reading a, ma- a magazine or a newspaper by someone I know, and I'll be like, oh, this is actually really good. <laughs> I generally post those, but then I think I got to get back to my writing. Right. So it's actually kind of good to be like in that way competitive and think like, you know, but that's a healthy th- competitive. Yeah. That's I think not it's a- good to be healthy yes. competitive, yes, healthy, healthy competitive. That's a good term, you know, so actually use that. Okay. I got to get back to my desk and write as good as right. this. Because you're seeing something that you want to aspire to do, or not, not that you want to be them, but you're looking at it and saying, I can do that. I have that ability. It's, it, it motivates yeah. you to do it versus that you're competing with them in that. Yeah. I want to be better than them and yeah. because I want to be better than them. Before we keep going with Bronwyn, I want to give a shout out to WordPress. Small businesses are the heart of our communities and the places that we could not live without. Like I couldn't live without the farmer's market here in Union Square in New York City, in a city that's all about hustle and bustle. I get there and I feel like I'm connecting to the earth versus the concrete of the city. As I talk to the farmers, I learn about the vegetables that I've never heard of and how to cook them. I can't get that in a big food chain store. So I'm all about supporting local businesses, and that leads to why I'm excited that WordPress is sponsoring Mentoring Moments. Whether you have been in business for generations or recently launched, creating a website on WordPress.com can make a big impact on your business. Even if you don't have a clue how to build a website, WordPress will guide you through the process. Seriously, WordPress has hundreds of customized themes to get you started. Just pick a template and make it your own. You get built-in search engine optimization and social sharing. And when you build your website on WordPress.com, you are part of a community with support 24-7. And we all know that being part of a community is so important, especially when you're an entrepreneur. So check it out and see why more websites run on WordPress than any other platform. Get started today with 15% off any plan purchase. Go to wordpress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's wordpress.com slash Forbes for 15% off your brand new website. Wordpress.com slash Forbes. Continuing the conversation here on Mentoring Moments, I want to shout out to Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree, rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. Now back to Bronwyn's story. 
my relationship with Alex was pretty fraught. It was tense. You know, I was, I was there. I had to deliver a lot for the magazine. You know, she could be grumpy at times. I could be off handle at other times, but you really have to value what you have around you. I mean, I really think it's important not to take anything for granted in this life. It's like, it can go away in an instant Yes. and really think, and also value what you've done. I mean, I had a, a hilarious assistant. I was, you know, working on my first book. It's called Made for Each Other. It's the first fashion history of the Oscars. And it took a long time to write. I was living between LA, Toronto, and London. And I said, you know, I've got to call. I was calling up these people in Los Angeles that had no clue who I was. And he's saying, just say you're Bronwyn Cosgrave from Vogue. And I'm like, well, actually, I don't really work there anymore. He's like, doesn't matter. You (laughs) just do it. And I was like, yeah, okay, I guess I'll do that. And people be like, oh, yes, 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 of course. So, but you do kind of, you have to look back and think like, this is really an accomplishment. I did something really good here and I want to do better next time. Yes. And I love how it's a guy who told you because that's how guys think, right? We as women, we think there is sometimes we just think differently. We're like, well, we have to explain it. Well, I used to be with Vogue. And the thing I didn't say in the intro that we're going to get to what we'll get to later, but I do want to mention it now is that you're the author of the book about Coco Chanel and about the the history of Coco Chanel. Yeah, it is actually a Vogue book. It's a British Vogue book. And I'm working on another Vogue book for Vogue in London. And the Vogue book on Chanel, it's called Vogue on Coco Chanel. And it's really the only book to look at Chanel's life from the perspective of British Vogue. It's a small book. I kind of wish they had published it in larger size, but it's been phenomenally successful. And it's coming to be sold in the U.S. It's going to be in the, yes, it will be published in the U.S. in September. And I mean, that was just a great project. And what I really loved about it, when you do write books, it is incredibly lonely because it takes so long and it really is the hardest thing. I think if you talk to any author, I'm a nonfiction uh, writer, so I have to do a tremendous amount of research. I can't really just write what's been in another publication because often it's wrong. I'm an historian, so you, you have to really raise like an eyebrow to what you see. But um, Not to be confused with fake news. Yeah. Well, with fashion, we won't go there. We won't with go fashion there. people are like, oh yeah, that was written before, so it's got to be right. Rarely right. is it right. Um, it's an underwritten field too, which is why I, I write fashion books. But I did that project because it was, there were four being published at the same time and they were by writers who I loved. One was the Vogue Talent Contest winner when I got to judge. Her name's Charlotte Sinclair. She's lovely. Uh, another writer. Chloe Fox and a fashion historian called Judith Watts. So we did the first four. So rather than go on this book tour on your own and go off to readings on your own, I had these amazing women who I love. And we're all kind of on the same page. We speak the same language. It was super fun. We had this great party together. Vogue always throws these great parties. So it was really celebratory. Um, And actually, that's what I do love about writing books is the end, the finish line is so gratifying because you get to celebrate, you've got the book forever, um, you get to thank everyone because there are always so many different people involved. So it's hugely fun. So all those women out there now who are writing and struggling, we'll just tell them that. It's rewarding. And you don't get paid that much, but it always, you can build a career off it. Yes, it's definitely great for branding. It's great. And now... We're going to make a switch over and we're going to go to 
what we're done with in life. Wow. And, okay, so I'll <laughs> kick it off so you can well, have some time to think. So I'll kick off with what I'm done with. Okay. And then you can have some time to think. So I'm done with doing things that don't bring me joy. Okay. And you could, you could be done with that too. You just looked at me like, I'm done with that too. And whether it's the clothes in my, when I'm buying clothes now, that is my real piece. It's like, I try something on. If I say, I don't know, it's like, is it going to bring me, do I love it? Love it? Love it. Is it going to bring me joy? And I've always done that to some extent in clothing, but never totally. I would still be like, Oh, but it looks good on so-and-so. And so I'll, I'll do it. Cause it really looks good on her. Now I really do look at things and I'm like, those are really cool boots or whatever, but do I love them? And so I've trans, I've taken that and I also now do it with booking my meetings. And, you know, there are some things in life we have to do. Our jobs make us have to do, you know, there are things we have to do because we find it rewarding to do our jobs. But there are other things that are totally up to us on who we spend time with, what we do. And now when I'm setting up those meetings, like being an entrepreneur, I think one of the, for me at least, one of the tricky parts is your time because you think it's endless, right? When I worked for corporate America, when I worked for USA Today, there was X amount of hours of the team working together. So I knew that I had this group of people, this amount of time, I had to focus. As an entrepreneur, it's like, oh, you know what? I could do that at four o'clock in the morning. I can do blah, blah, blah. I can, you know, like the the day goes on forever and ever. So you think, well, I'll go meet with so-and-so. But every meeting, even a 45 minute meeting takes an hour and a half by the time you get there, all of that, right? And you take those hour and those 90 minutes out of your days all the time. And could you really be doing something that you want that's more important in your life? So it's really helped me filter through by saying, will this bring me joy? Not everything I do brings me joy because that just isn't life. But how do I put more of those things in my life that I just love? So that's what I'm done with. I'm not doing, I'm trying not to do things unless they bring me joy. Yeah. What I'm done with, uh, negativity what's it going to bring you? I mean, really? And it's, it takes work to be positive. I mean, at one point in my life, I had this knack for like, I would just say, switch on the positive switch, you know, just flick it on. And I think it's really important. It just changes your demeanor. It changes just the way you visualize the world, but it's tough. Another thing it's like, carting stuff around. As you say, I mean, I, when I moved to England, I had all my possessions shipped from England to New York. I had so many clothes. I can only imagine. <laughs> and it was so difficult. And I had actually dumped stuff, but I'm all in favor of dumping your baggage. It's move on. Don't get stuck in life. You really, it's just vital to stay fresh. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel very freeing when you came over and I showed you Allie's room and I was like, right now it's a transition room. It's my, I'm cleaning out the closet. So here's the pile that goes to this nonprofit, this charity and all these. It's very freeing in your, to be able to say, you know what, I don't need it anymore, but somebody else can use Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right? And I'm not throwing it away. I'm just passing it along. I feel that way. And I, I have had, and I still do have a huge amount of clothes and I often do do piles for people. So my niece I'm gonna is come coming, over. <laughs> <laughs> my niece is coming, you know, I, I, I have my particular charity shop. I like the charity, you know, right. the people are nice when I go in there. I use um, housing works here. Who do you use? City opera thrift. Okay. And I they're really both, like them. Right. Yeah. yeah and I often buy too. stuff from them, right. but you just have to shake it up you know, you, you can't stay. And I mean, it was interesting to move. So I was, you know, when I made the complete move, I'd been going back between New York and London, you know, I, I did it for about four or five years. 
and when I moved, I, I ended, so I'm 50 now and that's not an easy time. You really have to keep on your toes. You have to really, you know, again, I embrace young people. I want young people around, you I'm know, with you. and it's, you know, I, I also, um, have to push myself. Yes. And the, and the older you get, you know, I'm 13 years older than you are. You push a little harder. You have to. Yes. You just, it's because things change. Everything changes. Right. And so you just stay in that moment and just stay really like, I want to be at the top of my game. It's, it's a harder push, but it's worth it. It's so worth it because if not the option, just as the alternative isn't an option, it's just not an option. But also, you know, with time, I'm done with wasting time. You know, I do spend a lot of time laboring over. I'm, I've been working on a, one book for like seven years. I couldn't figure out how to do it, but I'm not working on it constantly. But it's like, don't waste time. You know, I'm done yes. wasting time. I'm done wasting time with people who aren't bringing, as you say, joy to my life. You know, if I let someone in, they have to bring something to the table. Exactly. And I think the sooner we learn that, the better off we are. So we're going to keep the conversation going with Bronwyn. But first, I want to thank Braintree for sponsoring Mentoring Moments. Payment is essentially the handshake at the end of every online transaction. So don't make it awkward for your customers. Make it easy. Make it secure. Make it seamless. That's what Braintree means by Rethink Payments. It's not just a set of steps tacked on to the end of your customer's purchase. It's an opportunity to enhance the experience with your brand and increase the likelihood of repeat purchases. That's the Braintree philosophy. Braintree, rethink payments. Find out more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. Now back to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. And now we're going to switch over to a new segment we're doing in, on the show called Life Finds. So I thought of this when I was on vacation. I was telling somebody that I met and I had a clothing store. Imagine that, a little boutique at St. Bart's. And she was saying, so we were talking about skin. And I was saying, oh, I've got this great recipe for a facial treatment. And I was thinking, and then I thought about as being a mentor, I'm going to go back to that facial treatment in a second, but I was thinking about being a mentor. Part of it is when we're sitting across from with, with our mentors, mentors and mentees, it's saying, let me tell you about this. I found this great candle. You got to go get this. I found this. I'm doing this. So that's what we're doing now on Mentoring Moments called Life Finds. And my life find that I want to share is something that's so simple and it's a do-it-yourself. It's a DIY project. So for a face mask, I take a quarter of an avocado, I peel the avocado, take a quarter of it, eat the rest of it. I smash it up with a tablespoon of organic olive oil. Hopefully your avocado is organic also. You just smash it up. Some people put nutmeg in it. I don't do that, but there is there are some qualities in the nutmeg. And you put it on your face for 15 minutes. Now it looks kind of bizarre. I mean, your skin feels so hydrated. I mean, you Amazing. feel, it just like feels so hydrated after. It's really like this miracle. And that you just wash it off with water after 15 minutes. I'm doing it. So everyone can do it. Go get an avocado. You can do it with olive oil too. Some people don't like coconut oil, but coconut oil has better benefits than olive oil. And it's, it's great. So that's my life find for today. It's a do-it-yourself. I will post this somewhere in my social, probably, you know, I'll make a commitment now. I'll do it on Facebook on my Girl Quake page. I will post this little recipe so everyone can find it. Interesting. So what's your life find? Well, it's dark chocolate. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I want to know this one because I um, love dark chocolate. Slightly. It's kind of obvious, but I, um, you know, I was a big coffee drinker. I still am. I love coffee. I, I, you know, have it in the morning. But when I 
uh, started to write books, I kind of coffeed myself out. And I remember one day um, I worked on my book Made for Each Other um, in Toronto. I finished it in Toronto. And there's this really crappy like candy store across from the library. And I went in there one day, just bought a dark chocolate bar. And I was amazed. And I actually, I, I bring it over. Before, I brought it over here, some dark chocolate. I eat it at times where I have to perform mentally and I don't eat much, but it is, I find in moderation, incredible brain food. I'm with you. I love it. I love it. Um, another one of my life finds, and this really did come after my time at Vogue. Uh, when I went back to England, as I said, I'd been working on books in, you know, between LA and Toronto and London. When I went back to London and, and worked for myself really for the first time, I got a uniform. And it was about like, I actually wrote a piece about it for British Vogue because I was putting on my old clothes. I want to talk about this because I think this is hugely valuable. Yeah. And I, I was like struggling by trying to like wear a jacket of a Chanel suit with like some pants. I'm like, this is not working. It's uncomfortable. I'm freezing. And (laughs) I kind of figured out I actually went for a time without a large section of my wardrobe because I was constantly in flux. And I went back to London and I found a pair of, you know, makeup t-shirts that were acceptable enough that I could sit at my desk and not feel I was ruining a piece of designer clothing affordable enough. And, but I could put on a really nice coat if need be, because the thing is when you work for yourself, you get a call, you have to go spontaneously to a meeting, you got to do it. And if I put on a coat, I would look presentable. I also had my backup. If I did know where I was going was a dress rather than a skirt and a top because a dress, you just put it on and you can put a little jacket over it or coat and it can take you from like afternoon to evening. And I really worked it out. And, you know, it's kind of down to a science now. So I've got my sort of uniform shelf in my closet and I have everything there and I don't have to waste time, but it's, it's really about time for me. But also I think part of my uniform is having your own signature. And it's really important. Like I remember I met this incredible uh, graphic designer, Peter Saville in England, and he had sort of a trademark white Levi's. And, you know, he's living in England. He was from Manchester. They looked super foxy on him. And he would wear, I think, like, you know, a Savile Row shirt on top of that. And it looked great. And I remember looking at him going, wow, that guy looks great. And I really feel that I had to get spectacles. So I went to my optician, Cutler and Gross, and and got a pair of glasses. They don't have a logo on them. That's why I wear them. I don't want people to know if I'm a Gucci or Prada person. I don't like endorsing. I'm with you. I, I do wear like I do buy fairly expensive clothes. So I've got the shoe. I often have a shoe that's a variation in a flat or a high heel because as I said with John, we travel a lot. He's always walking very quickly because he's on his feet and his businessman. So I've got the shoe. If I've got to change into it, it's not going to literally keeping up with the guys, keeping up with him. And with a wardrobe and a signature, I really, you know, all this talk about Vogue and designer clothes, I really don't believe in spending a ton of money. You do not have to anymore, particularly with the rise of say Uniqlo, H&M, you know, Zara. Yeah. Um, there's a great shop, uh, and other stories. That's like a 
part of the H&M group. And I will find things there that, you know, I've got a great eye. I'm really lucky. That was one thing I feel very grateful for just looking at so much contemporary art and fashion, great fashion. I, I really got to develop an eye, but it is important the uniform, particularly with young people, you make an instant impression. Yeah. So if they see you wearing the same thing, oh yeah, you're the person that wears all the black. Yes. Or the navy, Giorgio Armani, always right. in navy. You I, know, I spent a career wearing black, and it was one thing was for financial reasons, right? Yeah. So if I had, I had the same thing you're saying, the black pants that fit, the black skirt, the black tops, and then I would do colorful jack. This is 30 years ago when that look was kind of around. But anyway, so I would make my jackets, the signature pieces, and I looked at myself as a painting. I was the canvas. Great. And the jacket was the painting. Yeah. Or whatever. And so to this day, I do. I, I can't believe you were saying that because I do the same thing. I have a lot of outfits that take a lot of creativity, which I love. I do love those for those special occasions because they're just fun and they, they show your personality. But my day-to-day, it is that go-to section that these clothes are my, this is my wardrobe. This is, these are my staples. This is my go-to. These are my uniforms. And I think for everyone who is younger and they're trying to find their look, find your look and just keep doing it. As you just said, whatever that is, have the confidence, find your look, make it easy. Another thing I do actually, and this is, this has come from working on my own and, you know, I have to go into situations. Uh, I do a lot of consulting for brands and I have to go into situations where people are like, okay, so you're a fashion historian, but you also produce fashion documentaries. They really don't have a clue what I do, but I always have, when I go into a meeting generally, my clothes are ironed. <laughs> right. That's always a good one. Because as you say, like, I don't judge people by the way they look. I really don't. And and if I'm carrying a bag that has a zipper, the zipper's closed. Right. It's not wide open. You know, I often carry these shoulder bags around that has my laptop in it. And I really try to look pulled together and not a lot of moving parts in my outfits. Right. You and things that I mean? you're fidgeting with. And the other one is our shoes. I have this real pet peeve yeah. about women and their heels. If your heels are all scraped up on your high heel yeah. shoes, take them to the shoemaker and yeah. get them fixed. I mean, because that just, for me, that is such a, you're not taking care of your look. I don't yeah. know why that for me is that big telltale no, sign big of, thing. because it, it's such an easy thing to not see in your own world. So for me, that's big. Now we're going to go to takeaways and we only have a couple minutes left. I know, I know. So we're going to do a quick takeaway. So a question, questions from our viewers that I've crowdsourced. So we just touched on the wardrobe. That was one of the questions that our viewers had. Here's one. And we have 90 seconds to answer it. Tick, 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 tick. What's the riskiest thing you've done professionally? So many things. Every project is a risk. I usually uh, have no idea what I'm getting into. Generally, I get paid well, but it really is uh, all of them. I mean, with the exception, I would say I would leave out, say, writing an article because you know where it's going to come out. But So is it risky because you're doing something that goes beyond your comfort zone? Yes. Which I think is fabulous. We, yeah. we all need to do that. Yeah. We all need to and do that. And also the riskiest thing I've ever done, working for myself. Because I haven't worked in an office since 2003. And some people are like, are you crazy? But I actually go to work every day loving what I do. And I don't have to put up with office politics. Which but is that huge. said, there's not a lot of security. Right. Or infrastructure to help you, right? So you can't walk down the hall, say, what do you think? What do you think? Which you don't realize how often you do that until you don't do it anymore. And you're not getting that. I have an idea or somebody saying, I'll take that and run with it. Because even if you have your assistant, you only have one, two, three people as 
what we're in the space of the entrepreneurship world that we're in, that you don't have that group of people to, to build off of those ideas with you, to say, mm, yeah, I hear you, what about? Yeah, I mean, you can't work in a vacuum. But, you know, another life lesson is, you know, ask politely. So today I was on the telephone with someone I'm working on a project with, and I said, I don't know if this is actually your, up to you to do this, but would you mind doing this? Do you feel comfortable doing it? And she's like, absolutely, I'll do it. So you really have to like, you know, don't give orders. Just say, you know, is this, just knowing kind of using psychology, but seriously, the riskiest thing I've ever done is working for myself. When I can honestly say one of the best things, one of my best trips to Barney's ever was on that weekend day when I just thought I'm going to pop in and just see what they have. So we could go on. I really could go on forever. But let's tell our viewers where they can find you. So if they want to check out all of your works, which I recommend you all do, and her book comes out in September. Um, I'll tweet about it in those of so everyone who follows me. But let's tell people where they can find you. My website, www.bronwyncosgrave.com. But Designing 007, 50 Years of Bond Style, which is an exhibition that examines the production design of the James Bond film series, will open in Estoril, Portugal in July. So we're all going to Portugal? <laughs> after, we, after we take a stop at your it's house to pick up our clothes. The world. It's touring for right. another three years, so it will probably come to the United States. Um, Vogue on Coco Chanel will be published in the United States in September. I often write for the New York Times style section, and I'm one of the producers of a feature length fashion documentary about Manolo Blahnik, the shoe designer, which uh, is slated for a 2018 release. And um, another film um, I'm in the midst of producing is about the life and work of the late makeup artist Kevin Oquan. Um, we are in the final stages of the edit and we'll be getting it out to the festival circuit this year. Which I'm a huge fan of Kevin, of his work. And yeah. I don't know him personally. But my hairdresser, Paul, who people have heard me talk about on the podcast, he and Kevin were great friends. Yeah. They worked together. He's a New York legend. Yes, for sure. So thank you. I'm blowing you a kiss. Not that the table's so huge, <laughs> but I can't reach over. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all so much for joining us today on Mentoring Moments. And to make sure you're getting Mentoring Moments the moment it's live every Wednesday, please subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, rate and review. And check out my show notes on Forbes.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your answers to these questions. Do you judge people by what they wear? Or do you judge a book by its cover? What gets you through an identity crisis? What gets you through those hard times? And do you take your relationships and or accomplishments for granted? It's easy to find me. I'm always on Twitter at Denise Ristari. And speaking of Twitter, I want to thank the women who keep spreading the love of mentoring moments and sharing our stories. So a shout out today to Sophia Bush. Yes, that's Sophia Bush. Stephanie Florence and Tanya Tarr. Thank you so much for sharing mentoring moments. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. Can your faith inform your financial values? The short answer? Yes. 
At Thrivent, we help millions of Christians be wise with money with advice, insurance, banking, investments, and generosity. Visit Thrivent.com. Thrivent, be wise with money. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following, following the rule of law is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.